remember something or think you remember something that doesn't actually exist? No. Have you seen the movie Sinbad from the like the 1980s live action? No. Well, it's not a real movie. There's a huge number of people who remember this movie mm-hmm. called Sinbad. They remember it being about a genie. Okay. But it's not real. It never existed. But a huge number of people remember it. That's wild. In detail, they can almost they can even give like plot points and stuff. I I don't go quite that far, but I definitely remember something. Really? Like that? Yeah. There was a movie. Do you feel like you saw it? I feel like I did. I feel like it was part of my childhood. That is so weird. Isn't that really strange? Yeah. I I don't know how to explain it. Huh. Obviously, you know that's called the Mandela effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna do a whole episode on the Mandela effect. Yeah. But, and I wasn't gonna talk about this. I wasn't gonna mention the movie. But I. Don't think there's enough material to do a full episode on it. Yeah. And also the Mandela effect, a lot of the stuff that like goes on with it, it's visual. And that doesn't really work for a podcast. Right, right. Because it would need like reference photos for every single thing that we talk about. And yeah. Right, right. Like the the movie one is an easy one to to just talk about. Um, If you guys listening, if you've felt like you've seen this movie, Sinbad with a genie from the 80s live action uh, send us a message because I feel like I'm crazy, but I know yeah. I'm not crazy because I know there's a huge number of people that also remember this. Hmm. Okay. Anyway. Top of the morning to you, folks. Yeah, happy um, St. Patrick's Day. Hiya. Yeah. It's not St. Patrick's Day when you're listening, but today it is. It is. It is. We are recording today at Friday, St. Patrick's Day, and you will see this not on St. Patrick's Day. That's okay, though. <laughs> yeah. How are you feeling this week? I've been pretty good. Do you have a good week? I did, yeah. I was feeling a little bit uh, tired, but we just filled up on some ice cream, so I'm feeling a lot better mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm, yep. That always brings me back to 100. Yes, yeah. One of our favorite um, local ice cream places to us today was their opening day, so we stood in the rain, in the cold, to get ice cream today. And it, was, so. it was worth it. It was worth it. Yes. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Chronicles of Curiosity. My name is Mason. And I'm Katie. And today, we'll be wrapping up the story of The Conjuring House. Well, let's part jump in. two. Yes. Part two, final part. So last week we left you hanging as the famed paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren first received word of the Perrin family's troubles. Um, but before we get back into our hauntings, I wanted to give you some info and context on the Warrens themselves. Mm. So there's a ton of misconception surrounding the couple, uh, which was only further like muddied by the Conjuring movie franchise. Oh. So played by Patrick Wilson mm-hmm. and Vera Farmiga. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movies show the Warrens as like a loving, conventionally Christian couple whose only real intention is to help just about anyone with paranormal troubles. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're kind of like a, I was going to say Robin Hood. That's That doesn't fit though. But they're just a, an overall, in the movie series, there's an, they're an overall good couple that love each other mm-hmm. and they only want to help. But how true is the portrayal? That is the question. Let's get into it. So born in Connecticut, uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut, to be more specific, on September 7th, 1926, Edward Warren Miney was one of five children in his family. Uh, Ed Warren's early life was a mixture of personal struggles, family tragedies, and spiritual experiences that eventually led him to pursue a career in paranormal investigation. Okay. There's a lot of death. Uh, a lot of struggles, and that eventually led him down the road of the paranormal. Okay, I didn't know that. Ed Warren's family growing up was very poor, uh, and his father struggled to provide for the family. So to make ends meet, 
Ed's father worked odd jobs while his mother stayed home and took care of the children. Again, mm-hmm. he was one of five. Okay. So there's a, he had they had her hands full. She had her hands full. Yeah, I would say so. Yep. Ed's family was devoutly Catholic, unsurprising, and his mother was also extremely religious. Um, from an early age, Ed had a fascination with the supernatural and the occult. He often listened to ghost stories and stories of spirits from his mother, oh. who was a self-proclaimed psychic medium. All right. Which I thought was interesting. She's a devout Catholic. Maybe they're a little bit more lenient on that than other sects of Christianity. Maybe, yeah. I, I feel like they might be, mm-hmm. more so than more traditional forms. Mm-hmm. So in Ed's autobiography that he wrote later in life called Graveyard Chronicles, uh, he points t- to his mother as being the number one influence in his interest in the supernatural, as well as his incorporation of Christianity into his investigations mm, okay. that we'll see in the future. In his book, Ed mentions that his mother experienced hauntings herself, saying that she would receive ghostly visitations from deceased family members. Oh. So you can kind of see where this is all starting. Yep. Just from yep. Ed's perspective, he kind of grew up in it. In 1943, at the age of 17, Ed enlisted in the United States Navy during World War II. He served on a destroyer, and his experiences in the war last left a lasting impression on him. Uh, he witnessed the horrors of war and saw many of his fellow sailors die in battle. Mm. He later claimed that his experiences in the, in the war strengthened his belief in the afterlife and the existence of supernatural. Okay. After the war, Ed returned to Bridgeport, Connecticut, and met Lorraine Rita Morin, or Moran. Sp- spell it. M O R A N. Moran. Moran. Sure. Perhaps. Uh, who would, uh, of course, later become his wife. Lorraine Morin was born Lorraine Rita Morin on January 31st, 1927, in Bridgeport, also in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, she was raised in a, also in a Catholic family and attended St. Charles Catholic School in Bridgeport. Okay. As a child, Lorraine was said to have been sensitive to the paranormal and experienced strange occurrences. She claims to have seen an apparition of the Virgin Mary when she was seven years old. And oh. she also said she would have premonitions about future events. Okay. If I met a seven-year-old that claimed to have seen the Virgin Mary and could tell the future, yeah, I'd be, I'd be looking for their parents. Yeah, I'd be like, this gets full shit. Yeah. I'm not even, yeah. Um... So Lorraine attended Laurelton Hall, which was a Catholic Catholic all-girls school in Milford, Connecticut, okay. um, where she was a member of the drama club. She also studied at the Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York City for a brief period. In 1944, Lorraine met her future husband, Ed, at a movie theater in Bridgeport. Oh, how cute. Isn't that quintessentially 1944? I was just going to say, that's the most 1944 thing. How precious. They married just a year later in 1945, okay. and the rest is history. Yeah. So why are the Warrens so famous within the paranormal community? To put it simply, it was down to the number of high-profile cases they were involved in throughout the years, uh, the first of which being the Annabelle hauntings. Mm-hmm. The Annabelle doll. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, also the Conjuring universe. Mm-hmm. However, uh, before the infamous Annabelle investigation, Ed and Lorraine Warren were already well-known paranormal investigators and demonologists. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, they had founded the New England Society for Psychic Research in 1952 and began investigating cases of hauntings, possessions, other paranormal phenomenon shortly after. Okay. So they have a huge resume with some of the biggest paranormal and occult stories of the last century. 
which is just one of the reasons why they're so notable. Right. And I, I quickly wanted to run through some of the notable cases that they were involved in. Uh, chances are you will recognize most, if not all of them. Okay. So right. we have their first investigation was the Donovan family um, involving a family in Monroe, Connecticut, who claimed their home was haunted by a ghostly presence. The Smurl family, uh, who was a family in Pennsylvania, Again, they claimed that they were being terrorized by demonic entities in their home. Oh, demonic, not just ghostly entities. Not, yeah, they were stepping it up at this point. Yikes. Yeah, this was later on, though. These aren't necessarily in chronological order. Oh, okay. Uh, we have the Snedeker family. Snedeker? Snedeker family. There you go. Uh, that, again, back to Connecticut, um, claimed their home was also haunted by demonic forces. Mm. We have the Annabelle doll hauntings, which most people are familiar with. We have the Amityville horror hauntings. Wait, wait, I want you to elaborate on the Annabelle doll just in case people don't know. Oh, it, the case, the Annabelle doll case involves a possessed, allegedly possessed Raggedy Ann doll um, that the Warrens claimed were responsible for several unexplained occurrences. <laughs> it's a whole story of its own. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll yeah. do a series on it one day. Yeah, we should. You've seen the movies, right? I have. I think I've seen all of them. Yeah. Yeah. They're good. Mm-hmm. They're not yeah. bad. Um, also feature Patrick Wilson. We also have the, uh, like I said, the Amityville Horror Hauntings. Mm, that's a big one. The Enfield Poltergeist, which was the setting of the second Conjuring movie. Okay. Uh, the Haunting oh. in Connecticut, which is, the, the name of it is based off of the famous movie. Okay. Uh, we have, of course, the Perrin family. Mm-hmm. We have the Werewolf of London, which is also an interesting one that I might do Ooh, down the road. Oh, yeah. And we have the South End Werewolf. Okay. So for some reason, late in their career, the Warrens did a lot more with cryptology than they did paranormal. Yeah. So both the Werewolf of London and the South End Werewolf were both toward the end of their career. Okay. Like right. late 80s, early 90s. So like I had mentioned at the start, with all the fame, also came a ton of controversy surrounding the couple. Mm-hmm. One major point of contention is the Warrens' use of their own brand of demonology, which is not recognized by the Catholic Church or any other major religious organization. Okay. Critics have argued that the Warrens' demonology is based on outdated and inaccurate information and that their techniques are more akin to pre-enlightened exorcism than scientific investigation. That's a really, Hmm. really long way of saying that they... The things that they believed were considered to be archaic to the Christian mm. church. There have also been specific instances where the truthfulness of the Warrens' claims have been called into question. So, for example, in the case of the Amityville horror, some have accused the Warrens of embellishing their involvement in the case and exaggerating the supernatural events that actually took place. Additionally, the Annabelle Dow case has been criticized as a hoax, with some claiming that the doll was nothing more than a normal toy that was given a sinister backstory by the Warrens. Mm-hmm. And finally, some have accused the Warrens, and this is this is the hardest to swallow here as a fan of them. Mm-hmm. Um, some have accused them of profiting off of pain and misery of others. Oh, man. Critics have pointed out that the Warrens' books, lectures, appearances on TV shows and movies have helped to create a lucrative industry around mm. the paranormal, which absolutely, I would say they were probably the first to commercialize it in yeah, a way. This was yeah. pre-true crime. Like popularity. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Uh, each claim and investigation could be its own dedicated episode, um, but mm. for now, let's just focus on the controversy surrounding the Perrin family and the Conjuring house hauntings. 
Uh, but before we can do that, we have to go back to 1973, where we left off last week, just as the Warrens were finding out about the Perrins family's troubles. Last week, I mentioned that the Warrens first found out about the Perrin family haunting when they read an article in the local newspaper, um, but this is not what actually led them to the uh, Perrin's farm. In 1973, the Warrens were giving a lecture on the occult in Connecticut. It happened that Carolyn Perrin was in attendance that day. And okay, so the mom of the family, Carolyn? Yes. Okay. She was attending the lecture. She didn't give a specific reason why she was there, but you can put two and two together and assume after a couple years of experiencing what they experienced in the last episode. Yeah. Carolyn was probably looking for answers. Yeah, that's a, exactly what I was going to say, looking for answers, trying to navigate how to pr like proceed with everything that's been happening in their house. Right, right. And she knew that they were going to be in, t in town or nearby, so she decided to attend the lecture. Mm. After the lecture, Carolyn approached the Warrens and told them about the horrors that they were experiencing in their family's farmhouse in Harrisville. The Warrens were intrigued by the parents' family story and agreed to, agreed to come investigate. I mean, how can you not be intrigued? Yeah, but I, I that kind of makes me wonder how many um, situations they were put into like that, like where there's constantly people walking up to you and being like, I have this, this, this happening, or this happened to me, or, you know, just for themselves potentially wanting the attention, wanting the fame that could have come along with knowing the Warrens or being associated with the Warrens. Yeah, that's that's a good point, yeah. um, especially at this time period. It was the early 70s. They weren't quite at the height of their popularity, but they were not too far off. Right. They probably had to say no to a lot of people. Yeah. So I wonder what kind of made them like weed out what they wanted to proceed with or what they felt was genuine versus what may have been a hoax or they perceived to be a hoax. If the movies have any truthfulness to them, it was probably the children. In? In the, the parent family. Okay. Okay. That led them to agree to take this case. It seems like a lot of these cases, they tend to gravitate toward cases that have children involved mm -hmm. and it's probably only natural it's probably just a soft spot that they have yeah that makes sense so after the warrens agreed to investigate they arrived at the parent family farmhouse and conducted a preliminary investigation during this initial visit they immediately observed many strange phenomena including unexplained cold spots footsteps and other mysterious noises the arrival of the paranormal investigators gave new life in the fight against the spirits around the house. However, it would not take long for the spirits to once again become violent. Oh, Lord. According to Andrea's account, again, the oldest daughter in the family, Nancy, her younger sister, was sitting on a sofa in the family room when she suddenly felt something grab her ankle and per pull her off the couch. Oh. She tried to fight back, but the force was too strong, and she was pulled onto the floor. Oh, my gosh. As Nancy struggled to break her free, excuse me, as Nancy struggled to break free, she felt something pressing down on her chest, making it difficult for her to breathe. She also felt a very sharp pain in her leg, and when she looked down, she saw a large, dark bruise forming. That's crazy. Yeah, That's like so forming scary. in front of her eyes. Yeah, when there's nothing there, like, well, visually nothing there to be causing that, that mm -hmm. is terrifying. That's straight out of a horror movie. Yeah. yeah. Eventually, the entity released her, and she was able to crawl away and call out for help. The rest of the family rushed to Nancy's aid and were shocked to see the large, painful bruise on her leg with no apparent explanation. Yeah, I would say that's a bit concerning. Yeah, I mean, we all have bruises appear out of nowhere. Yeah, but you don't usually watch them develop, like, 
actively before your eyes develop. Yeah, and you usually weren't just dragged out of bed or out of the couch by your ankle. Right, by an unseen entity. Yeah. What is that? So Andrea writes that the incident left the family feeling deeply frightened and vulnerable, of course. Yeah. And they became increasingly concerned for their safety, which is a theme throughout this whole story. Every incident leads the family to only become more concerned Mm -hmm. for what might happen in the future. For their safety, for the safety of the kids. Yeah. Right, right. This incident would also lead to increasing frustration with the Warrens, mostly due to the Perrin family feeling that they weren't doing enough to help stop the paranormal attacks. Mm-hmm. At this point, the Warrens were more observing and maybe even relishing in this paranormal activity that was happening. Oh. I mean, it is their field of study. Right. So they it have is, to study it. It is their expertise. Mm-hmm. So you would imagine they would have some sort of natural curiosity about these sort of things. Right. So at this point in time, I imagine the Warrens sort of sitting back and watching it on all unfold mm-hmm. and kind of en- not enjoying it. But, you know, they, they probably found some enjoyment and some fascination of this. Fascination, as, definitely. As horrible as it was. Right. It's kind of like the, the dark fascination where you are intrigued, but you feel like... Maybe you shouldn't be? Yeah, it's like the car crash thing where you right. see a really, really bad car crash on the highway and you don't want to see it, but, I mean, you're going to stare at it. Yeah, this you can't bring yourself to look away. Yeah, I'm not unique in saying this. This is a, right. common, yeah. <laughs> this is a common thing. Actually, that is how my uh, my interest in true crime and paranormal started. Watching, looking at car accidents? On no! Sunday? No, 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 no. No, like watching shows that I thought were spooky and that my mom probably wouldn't want me to watch but i was like this is so intriguing turns out it was just ghost whisperer which she and i both watch anyway so oh that's that upper echelon of yeah true crime scared yeah came full circle so it was during this time that andrea began to connect the hauntings with Bathsheba sherman if you remember her story from last week mm-hmm. according to andrea it was around this time shortly after the warrens arrived that she began doing some solo research into the previous occupants of the home while researching she came across the story of bathsheba the same story that we covered last week mm-hmm. uh, the only difference is that she didn't have the con- contextual knowledge that we do today yeah she wouldn't have had the information about bathsheba's grave and finding out that she was she had actually died much later than than the rumors had suggested. Okay. Uh, and while we at here at Chronicles of Curiosity believe that Bathsheba was likely wasn't a de- devil worshiping baby sacrificing witch, right? <laughs> Andrea believed otherwise. Okay. To okay. her, to her, and the rest of the Warren family, this put a very real face to the horrors that they had experienced, and uh, maybe more importantly, it put someone to blame. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. This is also where we need to get into a little bit of the controversy surrounding the Warrens in this particular case. Okay. Some believe that the Warrens exacerbated the problem by validating the Perrin family's concerns without doing much investigation of their own. Oh. So this is what I mean. Basically, from the moment that the Warrens arrived, they were convinced, and probably rightly so, that there was that there were serious malevol- malevolent spirits involved. They did not hide this from the parent family, including Mm. the youngest daughters. Oh my goodness. And you know how impressionable children are. Yeah. Some, including other paranormal investigators, also feel feel that the Warrens used supernatural methods that were too dangerous or posed too much of a risk for the family at the time. And this is what we'll see next here. Okay. So in chapter 12 of Andrea's book, again, it's titled House of Darkness, House of Light. 
the chapter is called The Devil Made Me Do It, which is also the name oh. of the third Conjuring movie. I wonder yeah. if they took any inspiration from that. Yeah, I couldn't find anything that said one way or the other. Okay. So Andrea describes an incident where her mother, Carolyn, became possessed by a malevolent entity. Prompted by the Warrens, the family reached out to a local priest who performed an exorcism on Carolyn. And according to Andrea, the incident began when Carolyn noticed a strange smell in the house and began acting erratically. She oh. said she smelled sulfur and dead meat, that which is, is a demonic connection. Connection almost immediately. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Yep. I just thought that was yucky. Those are the big three. If it smells like sulfur, if it smells like dead meat, and if there's flies or gnats, oh, typically points to a demonic force or you forgot to take out the garbage. <laughs> Those are the only two. So Carolyn, according to Andrea, Carolyn became very angry, violent, and began speaking in a deep male voice that was not her own. Mm. And this is Andrea's account. This is not the Warren's account. Okay. The family tried to help her, but she was so out of control and seemingly possessed by this evil spirit. Um, they eventually had to reach out to the local priest who agreed to perform an exorcism. During the exorcism, Carolyn reportedly spoke in a guttural voice and levitated off the bed. Oh my gosh. She also allegedly threw the priest and her husband, Roger, across the room. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know it's not funny, but... Hulk smash! The incident was described as terrifying and intense with objects in the room flying around and strange noises filling the air. The exorcism lasted several hours. Jeez. But eventually the priest was able to drive out the entity and Carolyn returned to her normal state. That's wild. We're making progress. I wonder if she remembered any of it. I don't know. That's a good question. Like that's something that I don't feel like people always talk about or I haven't heard much discussion about. From what I've heard, most people say they either don't remember it, they blacked out and it's just kind of like a blank slate in their mm. mind. Either that or... They do remember it to a degree, but they say that they felt like something was controlling them. That's exactly what I imagine. And, and they had no they had no control over their own bodies. Yeah, yeah. I picture it like you're riding in the backseat of a car, but it's but but your body is the car. So it's like someone this isn't working out. So this an analogy sucks. Another, <laughs> so in in this story in this analogy, another person is driving the car and mm -hmm. you're just sitting there and you can't do anything about it right but so, you feel like you should be the driver but you can't be the driver so you you, you think possession is an uber oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so the priest was able to drive out the entity for a short time however despite the exorcism the family continued to experience paranormal activity in the house mm. otherwise we would be ending our story here <laughs> According to Andrea, uh, the entity may have left Carolyn's body, but it had never left the home. Ooh. So what happens from here? At this point, the family had been enduring actual years of hauntings of varying intensities, and according to the book, the activity in the home actually intensified after the exorcism. Oh, the family continued to witness objects moving on their own, disembodied voices, unexplained sounds. They also reported feeling a, a constant sense of dread and unease mm -hmm. they also said that they felt like they were being watched all the time i don't like that that would get to me more than anything else yes yes i feel like that if our curtains are open when it gets dark outside i feel like i'm being watched so if it felt like that even with the curtains closed and all the doors closed i'd lose my mind and we're not talking about our dog watching us because she watches us all the she time she does but i just think it's cozy i think she's just like keeping an eye out making sure we're having a good time i think she just loves us so much that she can't stop looking at us 
Aw, that's so cute. That's how I feel about her, and also you. <laughs> Aw. Well, despite these difficulties, the family remained in the home for several more years before eventually deciding to move out. Uh, this is a side note. This is the question I was kind of asking myself the whole time I was researching this story. Um, why didn't they just leave? I mean, probably, I feel like a lot of the, the stereotypical situations like this, if if you're feeling like, why don't they just leave? They may not have the financial means to just up and buy a whole new house or, you know, like, where would they go? What would they do with all their belongings in the house? And Yeah, that was that was exactly the reason that they had given. Okay, they, yeah, that They had sense. spent their life savings and they had fixed up the house. They had five children. They had lots of belongings. Too many freaking kids. It was the 70s. Resources weren't quite as available mm-hmm. to just up and buy a house or up and leave. I, I mean, there's a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To me, that's the most logical reasoning. Yeah, and that's basically what they said, too. Mm -hmm. Um, But they eventually did leave in June of 1980, seven years after the Warrens first arrived in the house. So how long had the family been living in the house? At this point, they had moved in in 1971. Oh, wow. It's now 1980. Purchased the house in 1970. So they had owned the house for 10 years. They had lived in the house for just under 10 years. Yeah, that's a long time to put up with this. Mm -hmm. And from the book, Carolyn, or excuse me, Andrea had said that these events were, were pretty much daily. So mm. they, they were just so used to it at this point that they, they didn't even, I don't know, they didn't even really care. But eventually it did get to be too much. Yeah. After nearly 10 years of constant disruptions, they sold the house. It wasn't uh, without its challenges, though. The family described the process of selling the home as extremely difficult and marked by skepticism from potential buyers. Mm. The family would later write how potential buyers would visit the home and would sometimes have experiences of their own, paranormal experiences, which would obviously be off-putting and make it more difficult to sell the house. Right. Additionally, some some potential buyers were skeptical of the family's claims of paranormal activity and were hesitant to purchase a home with a reputation of being haunted. Again, I, this would drive up the market value for me about 50%. Mm. But for most people, most sane people. Yep, there it is. Uh, they they just don't want it. Yeah. Especially when there's a perfectly nice, not haunted house. Probably right next door. Right next door yep, for the yep, same price. Yep, yep. I, I would have to agree. Despite these challenges, the family eventually was able to find a buyer and they sold the home. Um, there weren't many sources that provided details about the specifics, but I can only imagine the sense of relief that came with finally leaving that house in the rear view, rear view mirror. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's another side note. In a lot of ways, though, I'm sure it was very, very sad. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had been in the house for 10 years. The children were all either, you know, between five and six, and Andrea being the oldest, I believe she was like 16 or 17. When they moved in. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so they grew up there. Yeah, they grew up there for, you know, some of the younger ones. They spent their whole childhood there, mm-hmm. too. So I imagine it was also emotional. Yeah, probably a bittersweet yeah. departure. Yeah. As for the family today, uh, they live a content, quiet life out of the public eye. Everyone, well, everyone except for Andrea Perrin, mm. who is very, pu- very public. Okay. Um, she, we've mentioned her a lot throughout this story, and it's because she's the only member of the family that has and continues to speak out about the situation that her family survived and lived through in the 70s. Okay. She's gone on to write more books, speak at public lectures. She's appeared on 
numerous documentaries, movies, and episodes, both as a consultant and an interviewee. Chances are, if you've watched any episodes about The Conjuring House, um, like documentary-style episodes, yeah. or if you've watched any of the bonus features of The Conjuring, you've probably seen her speak, even if you oh. weren't aware of it. Okay. All right. I didn't realize that out of the entire family, she's the only one that has been so public about it. Yeah. I wonder why. I don't know. I don't know. She was just very outspoken. I do have a little bit of beef with her, though. You have beef with her? Yeah. She didn't want to be on the show. Um, yeah, she didn't. She was busy. Well, that's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're busy, too. I can respect that. Yeah. We'll yeah. try again later. Yeah, we'll try again next time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> What's in the, As far as the status of the house today, in the years since the family's departure, the Conjuring house has changed hands multiple times. In late 2021 or early 2022, I'm not sure, uh, the house was put up for sale and eventually purchased in May of last year for $1.525 million, which I'm sure the parents paid way less than that. I think probably. The new buyer, Jacqueline Nunez, plans, currently plans, to begin nightly paranormal investigations. Oh. Day tours that will feature the history and stories that we've covered over the last few weeks, and they will also be live streaming from the house, which is very cool. Oh, shoot. Okay. So chances are, I haven't looked into it, but chances are, if you want to go watch a live stream in the house, you can probably find one. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, before Nunez purchased the house last year, it was owned by a couple named Corey and Jennifer Heisen. Oh. And the reason I know this is because I follow their daughter, Madison Heisen, on yeah. TikTok. Um, that, I think I do too, actually. Yeah, that's how I got reintroduced <laughs> to the house a few years ago when, yeah. when her parents bought the house. So she would post TikToks of paranormal occurrences and other weird stuff, you know, just happening around the house yeah, as yeah, she, yeah. you know, lived there day to day. Right. Excuse me, I don't think she actually lived there, mm-hmm. but I think she spent most of her time there. Yeah, I think it was like a like kind of an out-of-town house for them. Yeah, yep. Weird choice, but okay. <laughs> hey, you know, um, after her parents sold the house, Madison decided to begin possibly working for Nunez as mm-hmm. a guide or promoter. And I say that because when I, when I was researching this, I actually looked up her account and she's still posting stuff oh. from and about the Conjuring house. Okay, so she's got to still be within the house. She, she's still involved in some way. I'm not sure yeah. if she's volunteers her time or if she is actually employed as sort of like a, a guide mm-hmm. to the house. But either way, it's very cool. Hmm, cool. If you want to check her out, her username is madison.heisen207. And her last name is H-E-I-N-Z-E-N. Yes. Um, and I also have to mention some of the other high-profile paranormal investigations that have, have studied and taken place at the Conjuring House. Of course, you know, we have the Warrens, but right. the house also has been in- investigated by the Ghost Hunters crew. Oh. Chip Coffey for his co-show Psychic Kids. Okay. And of course, <laughs> our favorite, Ghost Adventures. Zach Bagan. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ghost Adventures kind of went a different direction with it. As um, they tend to do. Yeah, they yeah. really leaned into the lore of the house to explain the paranormal activity. Uh, they weren't really trying to debunk anything. They just yeah. wanted some cool footage. Of Zach cool Bagans in his, in his emo boy pants. <laughs> yeah. 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 So if you want to watch Zach Bagans yell at Ghost for an hour and a half, <laughs> um, it's you can go watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should. I think we should. We When we say we love the show... We love to pick fun at it a little bit. We still enjoy it. I mean, the spooky stuff is enjoyable, but we're all just here to make fun of Zach Bacon's just a little bit, yeah, like yeah. respectfully. Yeah, they're all over the top, but in the yeah. best way. They're I love them so much. Yeah, yeah, chaotic. Yeah, and that's I mean that's really gonna do it for the series. Um, I, I hope you enjoyed listening. We honestly we barely scratched the surface of this one, mm-hmm. so I encourage anyone who is 
more interested to, to do a little bit more digging. Okay. There's tons of information on, on the house. Yeah. Um, and lastly, before I go, our sources for this week are House of Darkness, House of Light, just like last week. Mm-hmm. Andrea use, Perrin's book. Yes, yes. Um, a Deep Dive by History versus Hollywood, and more than a few episodes of Ghost Hunting Shows. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that tracks. So before, before we leave you this week, I have one question. For you, Katie, and mm-hmm. the listeners, uh, would you spend a night in The Conjuring House after all that we've talked about over the last couple hours here? I think I'd like to try. Yeah? Can I have a nightlight? Yeah, you can have a nightlight. Okay, yeah, I'll try. You can have a flashlight, too. Can you go with me? Uh, yeah, I'll go with <laughs> okay, you. Okay, <laughs> all right, then yes, I'll try. Would I, you? Oh, absolutely, 100%. I would yeah. go whether or not you join me. That's fine. That's <laughs> quite sorry, all right. But I would. Someone has to watch our dog. <laughs> True, yeah, who's going to be here when I get dragged out of bed? No, stop. By that, that's demon. enough. That's enough out of you. <laughs> If you haven't looked at the photos of the house, if you haven't looked at this hill listing, now is the time to do it. Yeah. I'm going to look up the TikToks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely suggest it. That is going to do it for this week, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the series. Next week, we'll be back with Katie bringing her stories. Yes. To be determined. To be determined. And even if it was determined, we wouldn't tell you anyway because we like to surprise you. Yeah, got to keep it a secret. Got to keep things fresh. Yeah. Um, if you'd like to, feel free to follow us on Spotify or Amazon Music or yeah, or um, Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Yep. I think iHeartRadio as well. Um, we actually should post more of the links because we typically tend to just post the Spotify link to our personal stories when we upload the episodes. So I think we should probably be promoting more of the other guys. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll share multiple links this week. If you have any suggestion for show ideas, definitely yeah. shoot us a message on Instagram or email us. Yeah, absolutely. We would love to hear from you guys. Um, yeah. And again, thank you for all the support. We have been really appreciative of the the attention and the love that we've been given from this show. But still, we are we're continuing to to build up if possible. So if you know of anyone that would enjoy our kind of content over here, anything spooky or paranormal or curious then feel free to uh, send them a link. Yeah, absolutely. Have and give us a listen. That is going to do it for us this week. I hope you guys have a good week, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.